This episode may include sensitive stories, topics, or themes that may be difficult to hear. Please take care of yourself and your well-being should something arise for you. Welcome to the latest episode of Punk Therapy, Psychedelic Underground Neural Kindness. I'm Dr. T, working on my PhD. And I'm the Truth Fairy, coming to you from the underground. Together, we hope to inspire integrity, courage, kindness, creativity, and rigor in the fast-growing industry of psychedelic healing. Welcome back to another episode of Punk Therapy, Psychedelic Underground Neural Kindness. Truth Fairy here from the underground. And I'm really delighted to be here with my co-host, Dr. T. We've got a really great uh, episode coming up here for you, a topic that's very dear to our hearts. And the topic is about therapeutic touch. And I'd like Dr. T to take it away here. Thanks, Truth Fairy. Hey, everyone. Welcome. So today I'm really excited to talk about the role of therapeutic touch in psychedelic healing practices. And the reason what inspired me to to bring this to today's episode was a a recent reading group that I'm a part of. We sometimes talk about different um, articles published, peer-reviewed journal articles that are published to do with psychedelics. And um, there was one that was published in the Journal of Medical Ethics about this idea that you need an enhanced, informed consent in psychedelic practices. And this is speaking to the need to really have a deep conversation with people about what might happen to them under a psychedelic before they actually partake in those experiences, more so than a normal medical kind of intervention. And part of that is because there's a chance that under a psychedelic you could change your personality or you could change your value system. And another part of it, which is the part that's interesting for today, is that so often in psychedelic healing interventions, the client might ask for some nurturing touch in the midst of their experience. And so there's this question of, well, how do we deal with this? How do we manage this this kind of situation? And on top of that, It seems to be the case that generally we actually do want to use touch in psychedelic healing practices. And there's lots of places that mention that in the literature and also in some of the psychedelic manuals that have been published, like the Yale manual for psilocybin, treatment of depression, the ACE manual, the uh, MDMA protocol for PTSD. So it sort of seems to be well accepted that touch is a useful tool to use in psychedelic healing practices. But what I notice is that across the board, nobody's really getting specific about how do we do this? How do we do it ethically and how do we do it right? So that is the the topic for today. How do we use touch in an ethical and right way for psychedelic healing practices? And I guess we're, we're kind of approaching you from the angle that, you know, I am a wanting to become a psychedelic therapist, but have not really learned how to use touch. And I'm speaking with the truth fairy over here 
who has years of experience using touch, both in normal psychotherapy as well as in psychedelic healing practices. So, yeah, I'm, mm-hmm. the, I'm kind of being a mentee and, and here is my mentor and I'm sure that there are many of you out there that might be resonating with me and, and wondering like, how do we mm-hmm. use touch in the right way? Yeah, that's a that's a great question um, because touch has been so severely divorced from psychotherapeutic practices. I don't quote me on this, but I do believe that touch actually is prohibited in certain U.S. states. Um, I think this may still be a fact, and you know it's something so interesting if you think about it because it's so natural. It's so innate to us. Uh, You had mentioned, uh, Dr. T, that it's the mother of all senses. And uh, I would like to read a quote from the Zur Institute, uh, an article to touch or not to touch. Um, Quote, touch is often referred to as the mother of all senses, as it is the first sense to develop in the embryo, and that's Montague, 1971, and all other senses sight, sound, taste, and smell are derived from it. Within three weeks of conception, we have developed a primitive nervous system which links skin cells to our rudimentary brain. Quote, the tactile system is the earliest sensory system to become functional in the embryo and maybe the last to fade, and that's Fossage 2000. It remains a potent and some would say the most powerful form of communication throughout the course of one's life, holding immense potential for use and misuse, for healing and for harm. That right there encapsulates the beginnings of how touches the first thing that forms the skin and that we come through our mother's skin and that we tolerate a lot of unwanted touch, and yet it is the first thing that we do when we hurt ourselves. You touch the part that's hurt. If you've, you know, hurt your toe, stubbed your toe, you reach for your toe, right? Or you bonk your elbow and you reach for your elbow because it is instinctive to hold and bring blood and contact to that which is wounded. So something that is so natural to us, yet the potential for its misuse is huge. So I wanted to just comment on, and I'll give it back to you there, Dr. T, in a moment, but I wanted to say, how do we come to this when, you know, psychotherapy has been divorced from it, and now we're going into these psychedelic circles, and people under the, you know, in different states of consciousness, their inhibitions drop they fall. They, you know, if yesterday I was sitting with a client, they would never have asked, you know, may I touch your face or would you touch my face? We would not have done that. And all of a sudden under medicine, our inhibitions are down and we want to touch faces. And this is what babies do is they touch their mother's face and they pull their hair and we do this, we make contact. So, you know, I would like to offer and, you know, not take over this conversation here, but I would like to offer that my beginnings as, as a therapist were um, in shiatsu therapy, which is a form of Japanese pressure point th- uh, massage, and it's based in psychology as well. We work with meridian systems. I also studied cranial sacrotherapy, visceral manipulation, and Reiki and 
you know, um, read the work of Kathy Kane. So touch has been very, very um, important to me right from the beginnings. And then I, my practice evolved into what I do now. So I feel very comfortable with neutral touch and the idea of listening touch, uh, listening to, you know, rhythms in the body. Um, it's, it's not something I'm afraid of. I, I, I used to, you know, rub my father's head as a child and he loved it. So there was something very comfortable for me about that. Uh, <laughs> Great. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to. I really want to. I want to hear all about these these trainings, and and I'm curious to ask you about mm-hmm. you know what what is shiatsu, what is craniosacral therapy. I mean, for me, on the on the other end here in uh, in Australia, the um, perspective on touch is very different. Uh, oh. Well, I mean, I think it's it may well be across the board, especially for men in a lot mm-hmm. of cultures. But I think particularly in Australia, touch is very taboo. Um, uh-huh. Touch is taboo in general, but then also especially, you know, male to male, giving each other a hug or, uh, you know, things like mm. that can even be confronting for a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. I still remember to this day when I was uh, in, a, uh, where was I, over in Nepal at a Buddhist monastery I was doing like a some English teaching there and I was living next door to a a monk who was doing his you know studies in Buddhist philosophy and we became kind of friends and whenever we walked down the street he would put his hand out to hold my hand Mm. which in their culture is completely normal that's everybody does that and it's just a gesture of you know hey I'm with you I'm your buddy Mm -hmm. we're walking together but it was terrifying for me you know I could feel my heart racing my you know my whole body kind of went into an anxious state now I put my hand out and I held his hand because I respected the culture and I was like well this is Uh what I need to do right now but in that context yeah yeah 100 Mm -hmm. percent and I I tell this story just to illustrate kind of like how I think a lot of men in Australia and maybe across the board feel our conditioning is is kind of such that touch can be scary or mm-hmm. feel to be wrong or shameful. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I don't know if that's a part of the toughening up process uh, or how we got divorced from it. I'd be very curious to reflect on that. Yeah, boys don't cry, right? Boys don't cry. That's right. And is it is it is it still true? I don't know, but I know in in, in my years in growing up in you know in the seventies that uh, it, it was acceptable for a little girl to hold her brother's hand much longer than a little boy. I don't know if that's still true. Um, and I often would, in that European way, walk down the street holding my mother's hand. But then, of course, I started to see that I, I, I used to get uh, strange looks. This was in Canada. And I really, I remember how painful it was in my heart when I stopped holding her hand and I loved holding her hand. And it was all because of the looks that I was getting. And I don't know how we got this way. Um, I'm I'm keen to explore it, but not in this episode, because I do believe this is going to be an ongoing conversation. But um, I, I remember I felt the, pr- the pressure of society not to need, and it's huge in our society not to need, that we need ourselves, which is really old pop psychology in the colonial way. But you know, their studies have been proven now that by holding someone's hands, it releases oxytocin, that it actually helps with pain. 
and and again it's that natural instinct to touch what that which is hurting so i wanted to offer you know in this world of you know constrained ideas and cultural conditioning and uh, ethics and fear and misuse and there has been a lot of abuse and in abuse in the psychedelic industry as we know and shamanic practices as well that a very safe and beautiful way to start touch in a therapeutic setting whether it's in ordinary or non-ordinary states is by teaching self-touch this is a wonderful way that we can begin by simply you know, in, in Tai Chi, we rub our hands together, you know, and I'm rubbing my hands together right now. You can probably hear it in the microphone, but just by rubbing our hands together and feeling energy between our hands, this is the beginnings of practice that we can feel energy in our hands. And we did this a lot in Shiatsu therapy. We would run our hands together. We feel the chi energy. And it's almost like getting a sense of your own energy between your hands. And then we can take that touch a little bit further by placing our hands on our hearts. And it's a beautiful way to take care of ourselves or to invite a client to put their hand on our heart. You know, it, it, is, it is quite instinctive, you know, in moments to sort of reach for your heart where you go, oh, there's that little bit of shock or that little bit of surprise and we put our hands on our hearts. It's cultural too. Some cultures do do this. It's kind of a, a show of, of kindness and respect and you know, coming from the heart. So these are ways that we can introduce touch in therapeutic settings, in psychedelic settings, that if we're feeling uncomfortable or we're getting signals or we're not comfortable as therapists, is how do we help a client maybe hold their hearts or invite them to put their hands around their shoulders in kind of a self-hug. And, you know, during COVID, there's been a lot of self-hug. There's been a lot of, uh, I'm actually just going to say the word, there's been a lot of um, self-masturbation, taking care of ourselves sexually. Um, people have had to learn to touch themselves and it's necessary. Yeah, yeah. So it's so necessary. Opened up and a little portal the, there. We don't have to go the, down it yet. <laughs> <laughs> for the listeners, um, as, as, the truth fairy was speaking just then I was putting my hand on my heart and she was putting hers on her, her heart and wrapping her arms around her, herself as well. And I think uh, that's a really beautiful thing as well. You know, when you're starting to introduce touch in a therapeutic session, I've done this um, and, you know, I've not often actually, actually physically touched a client, but what I often do find myself doing is mirroring their self-touch so if they mm -hmm. have put their hand on their heart, I might join them with that. It's like, hey, is it okay if I if I join you there and I put my hand on my heart and mm -hmm. and then it becomes a kind of a shared co-regulatory moment. Absolutely, and it's that beautiful invitation to uh, touch in with the rhythm of your heart, because when we're when we're afraid, when we're in sympathetic arousal, when we're startled, when we're scared. The heart beats quickly and a way to um, connect touch and safety and as you said co-regulation self-regulation is to discern and listen to the rhythm of the heart and then invite that the heart might slow a little bit through grounding through a little tapping on the heart and 
you, you, there's so many things that we bring up here right now. And, you know, how do we get back to this idea of therapeutic touch and psychedelic realm is to, as, as you were saying, Dr. T, I love how you were bringing up when you're noticing little ways that a, a client might touch themselves or touch this, touch their face. The body is always taking care of itself. The, the body is so deeply wise and so even when someone is playing with their hair in sort of what might seem like a repetitive rhythmic way, if we could slow that rhythm down and they say, oh, I do this when I'm anxious and I pull on my hair, we can invite a client to slowly slow down that rhythm to really feel what they're doing because the body is always trying to take care of itself on some level. What may seem like a tick or a repetitive habit or OCD is actually the body trying to regulate and we do that through touch and we do that through the skin, which is an extension of the brain. Yeah. Yeah. And even, yeah, sometimes people will um, hold their own hand. And I, I've heard you talk about this before where, um, where you kind of get one hand, you get them to check in with each hand. Like how is, how does that hand feel when this hand comes along with a nurturing kind of presence, yeah. you know, what does that feel like? Um, yeah. I think that's, that's, I'd love to hear more about that. And I, but before we just keep going into that, I want to give our audience a bit of context here because we've kind of launched straight into building touch into psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. And th the reason that we've launched into that is because something that we've spoken about before at length is, th is the idea that you cannot or you should not really introduce touch for the first time in the midst of a psychedelic session right which is sort of um it may seem obvious but it's not clear in in the papers that are out there and what people are talking about it's not clear it's almost sort of this let's go through this process of getting their their consent to use touch in the psychedelic session get them to sign a piece of paper and then maybe if they ask for us to hold their hand then we'll hold their hand in the midst of the psychedelic session and it's just for that purpose but i think what, what we've spoken about at length is that if you're going to use touch in a psychedelic session, then it is essential that you build the practice of touch into the dynamic that exists between you and that particular client well before the psychedelic session. And so Absolutely. what we're talking into is how to build that, how to build that dynamic, that rapport of touch mm -hmm. in, the psychedelic, uh, in the therapeutic encounter between you and the person. And then maybe you could bring it along for the psychedelic session as well. Yeah, and, it, and it's very, very helpful to say that there may be touch, like to explain why would we use touch. And if someone says, you know, absolutely not, I'm not comfortable with touch, we never go past that boundary, and we, we might introduce the possibility of self-touch or this idea of being able to move the body in such a way that it brings comfort and rhythm and, and soothing. And... If we can inform clients, uh, you know, that sometimes touch is very, very helpful as emotion starts to rise, it, it's a little bit of a buffer, like an energetic buffer to, you know, maybe put your hand on someone's shoulder as a, as a therapist to be able to, you know, it's what we do when we want to reach out. And it's so instinctive to reach out and put our hand on someone's shoulder when they're hurting. Um, or to offer to, you know, I, I, I feel to hold your hand. I wonder what that would be like for you right now. Or the idea of, you know, grounding. Sometimes 
I'll say, hey, I, I feel to put my hands on your feet right now. May I? May I put my feet? And it's so important to notice how someone answers because clients will often want to please a therapist and say yes, when in fact they're saying no. So we have to be so attuned to our gut to notice, did that client answer hastily or sure? And that's what does that sure mean? Yes or no? And then you know, we have to have confidence in our hands as well, because if you're not feeling confident, they're going to pick that up and then we're going to go, ooh, the touch feels a little bit off. So that real confidence, I, I remember I loved that in my, in my shiatsu training. It really was this sense of, you know, you know, a, a real, you know, real present contact. And when you really make that present contact, then we're not fooling around here. There's, <laughs> there's nothing going on. We're just making contact and it's a firm, strong hand and it's open and it's not tight. It's not tense. If our hand is tense, you can sense that, like I'm afraid to touch you because something might go on. If we're just quite well assured with it, then it can be such a deep grounding conduction. It's like conducting the energy into the ground, like taking that nervous energy and acting like a conductor to ground it. So, you know, for me, I've always been very, very confident with touch. I think, you know, when my, I had mentioned a little earlier, my father, we'd go on long drives and I'd sit in the back seat and it's a time where you didn't have to wear seat belts. And I would go and I just like rub his head and I'd really get in there and he loved it. So I, I, I built this great confidence with it. So when I teach touch, I feel very confident about it. And, um, and of course, I really want to just respect and fully, deeply acknowledge how many lines have been crossed, you know, how many children, how many clients I work with who have been sexually abused by parents, by caregivers, by, by uh, you know, babysitters, by teachers. So, you know, gosh, I, I feel such immense empathy for people that go, I really, really want to be touched, but I feel so uncomfortable with it and I feel tense about it, but I'd really like to learn. Or, you know, those that have, um, you know, it also, it also becomes a, a compulsion, right? And that, that to, to be touched is also a compulsion. And then, so how do we teach people then to hold themselves as well? So it is a complex territory, but there's one thing I'd really like to say before I hand it back to you, Dr. T, is that, you know, cranial sacral is such a brilliant and beautiful practice, as is shiatsu therapy. But just to start with, you know, if psychedelic therapists could learn a, a basic level cranial sacral, you know, listening at the heels, you know, listening, gentle hands on the shoulders, gently cupping the head, just those listening stations, then we build a kind of confidence to hold and we don't have to do anything but simply release our own bodies into gravity, let gravity take over and not tell someone to let go and relax, but through, the, through our confident gravity-based release, someone else can begin to surrender and then really checking in is this, you know, how is this for you right now? And if you notice that someone is tensing, then we go, hey, I'm just going to back away here. I'm just noticing things are a little bit tight here. You know, I'm wondering if you really want this touch right now or not. Oh, yes, 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 I do or I don't. So um, it's like with anything. We may start with wanting it and then we are done. And how do we learn when that is done? So, 
there's a lot here to learn. Obviously, it's a huge topic and we're not going to cover everything in, in this episode. But I just want to say I, I'm all for having, you know, psychedelic therapists learn cranial sacral or basic level shiatsu or, or, or Reiki. Although I have my, I have my thing about Reiki. I, I'm not really into, you know, downloading and telling someone about what their experience is. I'd rather hear about their experience. So I won't open that can of worms right now, Dr. T. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think um, it would be interesting to just chat about the different types of touch that, um, I, I, when I say different types of touch, I mean the kind of uh, underlying attitude that the therapist is bringing to the moment of touch and being you know really respectful and really careful because what you're talking about before is just how often people have experienced the misuse of touch. And so mm -hmm. we have to be super careful about seeking permission at every single step of the way. And I really love the way that you do that in your work. Um, it's something that I've come across before. And, and, you know, I think it's something that we as therapists need to, and this is where I think the intersection of the somatic relational sort of aspect of, of what we want to talk to today intersects with touch because there's a level of self-awareness and embodied self-awareness that is required for the therapist to be able to use touch and be receptive to the client's needs in the moment. They need to be aware of what's going on in their body. For, for some people, the use of touch can bring up triggers in the therapist as well. And so there's a, there's a level of awareness that's, right. that's, that's needed there. Yeah. And, and for some, you know, maybe they didn't get enough touch in their childhood, right? And there is yeah. an, a part of them which craves touch and mm -hmm. so you could slip into that sort of like takey energy of touch, you know, where it's it's more about you meeting your needs to touch someone else than it is about making sure that you're uh, meeting the needs of the client and making sure that you have full permission and embodied permission from them. So it reminds me of an exercise we used to do um, in a training that I did called Heart Touch and we would you know, we would do the whole uh, role play and in one section of the role play, we intentionally tried to be the therapist who was kind of quote unquote manhandling or should I say human handling a person and do a very takey touch where it's like, oh, I'm here to kind of fix you and do this and push you around and do what I want with you. And then we've polarized that against uh, the listening touch. The kind of we call it grandma's hands, where you're you're uh, it's kind of like contact dance, where you know you're not pushing them around, neither are they kind of pushing you around. You're you're meeting the um, the pressure where they're at, and, and using that kind of listening touch. You're nodding like you've got something to share. Yeah, Truth yeah, no, I, I'm, no, I'm nodding because I'm really, really enjoying what you're saying and, and how you're saying it. And it, it leads me to a beautiful one line Rumi poem, which is only from the heart can you touch the sky. And, you know, our hearts need to be online. This is often where we get into misuse of touch is that, you know, uh, that sexuality gets divorced from the heart. And it's kind of I'm kind of going out on a limb here, but you know, um, the Dalai Lama said about 9/11 is that the terrorists had great education of the mind, but no education of the heart. And so when we misuse touch, 
there's education of the the well there is actually a lack of education we've kind of dropped into this um reptilian brain this drive to survive this drive to take rather than having it centered in the heart and that's what i think is so important and not this kind of oh i want to take your pain away but how do i as as you've mentioned several times is that we have to be very very embodied and grounded and dropped in and i almost want to say the word asexual i'm going to just say the word asexual and and, and i i was thinking about this you you saw me nodding you know, I grew up in a in a ballet school um, in Toronto, and there was a lot of it was a lot of touch. I mean, you're you're a dancer, you're a classical. I was a classical dancer. You know, you're a teenager, and there was you know in ballet, there's a lot of physical maneuvering, and you know, you get lifted in certain ways, and and I and I think I kind of grew used to kind of disconnecting myself. So I was kind of in my body, deeply disconnected because. Uh, touch did end up hurting or it could hurt or, you know, you were kind of twisted around and moved around. But it also, I think, you know how trauma is a is a teacher <laughs> and is a gift. I, I think that it really created sort of a gateway to me when I became embodied not to have, you know, to, to kind of, uh, how would I want to say this, uncouple sexuality from my touch, you know, I had to do that as a dancer or else you could get turned on all the time dancing. You can't do that on stage, right? <laughs> so what what I would actually have to do is turn that off in myself and, and turning that off had its consequences because, you know, I, I actually got quite shut down. But it also taught me how to divorce it. Or, or I don't want to say the word divorce, but kind of uh, uh, uncouple it from my touch so that I could actually show up with a great neutral touch for clients. And, you know, over the years, I've actually had to find back my way back to sensual touch because I lost that. I got so good at neutral touch that I forgot, you know, I got very good at my work. Um, but, you know, I, I think knowing, uh, I'm going to take us another, another little tangent here, knowing what those kind of safe zones are, um, you know, putting or or even inviting, you know, when we're talking about sort of attachment theory and, you know, avoidant attachment, doing um, uh, co-activities, sometimes it's really nice if you ask a, so I know I've asked clients, is it okay if I can come in and sit beside you so we're both looking out the window together? Sometimes there's that kind of shoulder to shoulder sitting together feels really nice because, you know, we've been facing each other for a while. You know, I know that Peter Levine likes to kind of sit at that 45 degree angle. I know some clients like me to come a little bit closer, sit in front of them. Um, so there's that that sense of we can kind of sit together and have a conversation. But I, I want to get back to something and, and, and I want to be okay with the fact that we are we are kind of a bit like Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen where she talks in circles and she's totally okay with it. She's 80 years old and she says, this is the way I am. I talk in circles and I just follow the information that goes. So I'm giving myself permission to do that, Dr. T. But I want to catch something that you said um, mm -hmm. about clients that are sometimes de des desperate for touch. And maybe this is an anecdote that may be helpful. I worked with a lovely gentleman um, in his 60s, retired, and a real, a real like just right from the beginning, I was like a real sweetheart. I met him on Zoom first. He wanted to sign up for, for psychedelic work, and so I always meet with clients first uh, on Zoom to see if there's a connection, and then um, after that, I had a real deep sense that I wanted to work with him. 
when he first came in for his first session, he'd never done therapy before. This was all new to him. I was his first go. But he was a you know, very deep, intelligent man um, and had done some, you know, had some trips with psilocybin. But when he came in, I asked him where he would like to be in, in, my, in my studio. And he picked a chair. And I said, where would you like me? He goes, oh, where would you like? Oh, he's like, wow. We're, we're, we're. He had a choice about where I, I sat. Have a choice so, here? Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, you know, he said, I, I want you here, and and it was quite close to his chair. Mm-hmm. And what I, so I, you know, I came quite close to his chair, and I sat, and, and he goes, and he said, oh, I, I really don't know what this is or what to expect, but I, I really like you close. And I said, okay. And I could feel in him that desire, like that he wanted to touch me. Mm. And what I did, I wanted to really normalize that for him. Because we are told from a young age, and I don't know what generation said, you know, touch yourself and your hands will fall off. I could mm. see that he was, there was touch starvation here. And he was a, uh, a man who had, uh, you know, he was out of a 30-year marriage. He was in a divorce. And I just decided that I was going to totally normalize this situation. I planted my feet on the ground, completely grounded myself. And I said, would you like to hold my hand? And he goes, can I? Is that, is, can we do that? And I said, you bet we can. I just offered my hand and he goes, wow. And you know, Dr. T, when he held my hand, it was the craziest thing. It was because it was like my father's hand. He like, like uncannily my father's hand. And my father often needed to touch me. It was non-sexual, fortunately, but I could feel in my father that he was starving for affection. My mother and him were not connecting sexually or physically. So my father would often need to touch me and I would kind of have this little recoil and flinch. And I, I realized that this moment, like first 10 minutes of a session with a client, you know, I've only met him on Zoom and I thought, wow, we are always in the potential of reenactment in session and we need to be. And we need to have our wits about us because the minute we make something abnormal, it becomes abnormal. And I decided that this moment, I was just going to make this, uh, it was about making myself feel comfortable and not go into the flinching reenactment of my dad needing me and going, this is not my father. This is a man who's deeply hurting. He doesn't know what therapy is about. Why don't I normalize this experience for him? And I just put my hand out and here's my hand. And he took it and he just grabbed and he was grabbing my hand. And I said, I need you to do that a little lighter. He goes, oh, oh, am I hurting you? I said, you're not hurting me, but if you do that a little longer, you will. (laughs) And he goes, thank you for telling me. And that's how we started our relationship. Wow. He said, thank you for telling me. And I said, you're welcome. I'll keep telling you. And will you tell me if this is too much? I said, you bet I will. (sighs) Fantastic. You know? such Such a beautiful way to start it. Yeah. Yeah. And we can be human beings. We don't have to be these therapists that are siloed in these um, 
professions like we're somehow outside of community. We are fully inside of our communities. We are fully in our own experiences. We are fully in our own experiences of touch and and abuses and misuses and, you know, tolerating touch or frozen and contracted ourselves. So these are opportunities to say so clear in the moment, because uh, I remember learning this from actually a cranial sacral therapist. She was talking about working with a Vietnam War vet and she was holding his head and he, he was really deeply traumatized. And he, at one point, um, she said she'd been working with him for a while. She was holding his head, you know, you're right there down close to them. You're holding their brain. And she said that the guy said, I killed a man. And she said, yeah. He knew this man. Exactly. I killed a man. Mm. Mm. He was a soldier in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. He lost his mind. He killed a man. This is what happens in war. People kill each other. And she just kept holding him in, in the most empathic touch and say, ah, okay. Yeah. And then we can start to unburden as human beings. And this is while she was holding his head. So that stayed with me. And that stayed with me and really helped me in this moment with this client when he seriously just needed to grab on and hold on until I could say to him, not so hard. And it was like a baby holding on. And then he was able to say, thank you so much, because I didn't get clear signals about this. I've never been told. And, you know, in moments of freezes and numbing and shocks and violations, we can't communicate. So we need to be able to communicate moment by moment. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. what touch is about because it changes every minute. Like I might be hugging you and you feel it and how we stay attuned. And now, now I need to move back and then let ourselves move back and not stay connected because we want to attach. Right. Yeah. So as you can see, you know, we've got about four minutes left on this episode and I think it's a a conversation that will be ongoing. Mm -hmm. But I wonder what's most important to you right now. I also see you nodding and I wonder what's, what's, What's meaningful and important to you, Dr. T, right now about this conversation? What's staying with you is vivid. I'm just, I'm hearing your story and it's, it's, it's a beautiful story. And I appreciate the self-awareness that you brought into that session and the, the capacity to recognize when a reenactment has, has kickstarted. And, and I guess that's, that's kind of what we're working with here with psychedelic medicines. I think that they have a very particular capacity to amplify or potentiate those reenactments, which is a double-edged sword, right? Because we have a great opportunity to heal, but we also have a great opportunity, you know, there's potential that we could do harm, you know, in those moments where, you know, as you said, you made it okay, you made it normal for him, that client, to want to touch your hand. But if you shut it down instead, if you rejected the reenactment, if you rejected the projection mm-hmm. outright, then that could, you know, just kind of, uh, yeah, reenact in exactly the same way that it happened the first, in the first place. Or, or if yeah. you can notice it, if you can catch it, then you have an opportunity to uh, give that person a corrective experience that can change yeah. their, their patterning. And, I, yeah, it just, it just stands out to me that, in psychedelic healing that that it does seem the case that those opportunities are amplified and it happens more often that we get this transference going on um, and i think also touch does that too even without a psychedelic mm-hmm. medicine if you use touch in a psychotherapeutic session you're also going to amplify those kind of reenactment those 
the, the potential for the mm-hmm. reenactment and the transference. And enactments are really important in all therapy because something that I learned in Sharon Stanley's training is that all therapeutic encounters are enactments. Mm. All intimate, all intimate therapeutic interactions, encounters are enactments. And how do we navigate that with wisdom, embodiment, and that micro listening in the moment? So that we actually want to get there. We actually want to get there so that we can have a new experience of the now with someone. And I'd love to, just as a teaser, you know, because I want to talk, I want to, I want touch part two. (laughs) Now I'm getting excited. I would really like to talk about some, you know, clients that we've known for longer times where they can ask for something that, that, would seem abnormal, but is actually really normal when it's done with great intention. So I'm kind of leaving a little cliffhanger here for a moment because there is a beautiful story I'd like to share next time. But we're at the two minutes to finish mark, and we promised that we'd leave our podcasts at 40 minutes, which is a really comfortable listening time. And I really want to honor, you know, that precious time that we set aside for learning, for listening, and and so many other things that we want to do, like, you know, give our heads a good rub right now. <laughs> but I, and I also would like to leave our listeners uh, with the idea that whether you're, you know, going into the uh, going into the psychedelic world as a client or a, or a or a therapist, you know, go get a cranial sacral session, go get a shiatsu, you know, find out what massage is about, and. And as a therapist, go get some training uh, in touch practices. It's so invaluable. Basic level, really basic level will change your practice and uh, offer clients a, a humane a humane environment. Yep, fantastic. I think I am going to do that myself. I'm going to go get some training in craniosacral massage. And I'd love to start to introduce that into my practice Maybe that's something we can talk about at a future episode, as well as this juicy story that you've left us hanging with. Have a wonderful rest of your day, wherever you are. Thanks for tuning in. That concludes this episode. We hope you found it meaningful and integrative. Remember to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Spotify and kindly share the link with your friends and colleagues. If you want to contact us, you can reach us at info at punktherapy.com. And remember to punk your inner wisdom. <laughs>